Uh, my name is Rick Napier, the CEO at Real People USA LLC, based in California. And Real People USA, we help uh, people with business questions. We also uh, are pro-capitalist uh, platform. And then we have interviews like we're having today. And today's guest is Max Beth Beckwith, and he's from the Congressional District in North Carolina 7, but it's soon to be District 3. So without further delay, I would like to welcome to the Real People USA podcast, Max Beckwith. Hello, Max. How are you doing? I'm good, sir. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Doing great. Doing great. So uh, before we uh, ask some questions about uh, your run for Congress there in North Carolina in District 7, soon to be District, uh, soon to be District 3, Please tell our audience a little about yourself, such as where you're, where you're from, uh, education, military experience. So take it away, Max. Appreciate it. Yeah. So um, born a military brat, so I've probably lived in close to 30 states. So I'm not really actually from anywhere. <laughs> uh, but I was born in California. Um, and then uh, said that was in the Air Force. Um, and then... After our, after our high school, I went to the Marine Corps. Uh, I was a combat engineer, so I found a counter IEB and demolition expert, breacher, that kind of stuff, division side. Although I spent my first time with an ESB unit doing road construction in Afghanistan. Second tour was uh, with the division, with 2-5. Um, left the Marine Corps in 13. I bounced around for about a year. Finally, I was like, I need to go work for myself. I started my own little small business as a little one-man operation handyman in 2015 here in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, which I moved to after getting out of the Marine Corps. And uh, from 15 to 19, without taking out any loans or anything like that, cash-strapping them for my last $400 to start my business and get my insurance, um, I just started kicking stones and knocking doors and getting jobs and then fast forward to 2019 I closed out a Florence and Matthew insurance claim for a community as a the main PM under a GC uh, 1.3 million dollar renovation and they wanted to have like a 30% margin I brought them in at 41 and then went from there finished my degree because while I while working 60 70 hours a week uh, with my business, I was also going to school full time on at American Military University because I was going to go to law school. So I uh, got my major in or my uh, major in political science uh, with a minor in history, and my major's focus was constitutional law and international law. Uh, then decided I didn't want to go to law school because I'd make more money in the short in the in the long run uh, with less headache in the construction field. So then went to go work for a government contractor pretty much right after graduating from AMU uh, or finished my class in AMU. Official graduation, quote unquote, was until like August is when I got my diploma, but I finished in May um, of 2020 and then went for a work for a general contractor uh, who dealt specifically for uh, military infrastructure, federal contracting packages, and I was in the pre-construction estimating department. So. I was creating anywhere from million to $385 million 
Saber Idea Humax uh, budget for construction, dealing with all that bureaucratical red tape of we all know and love the federal government. Then left there, did mm -hmm. a super work as a builder for a local uh, building company, doing uh, homes, custom homes. And then I left there uh, to run my campaign because I announced in September. And I uh, actually doing a new job now while I'm running because I'm not one of these people who's going to be, if I do end up getting elected, sitting on my laurels when I'm not in Congress, I'm actually going to work for a living like I have the rest of my entire life. Um, mm -hmm. So, no, I also believe in term limits, so I have a I have a ceiling of how long I'll be in Congress. I'm not going to exceed that regardless. If I can get it passed myself, I'll hold myself to it. So, I need to have a job outside of that. So, I uh, wasn't really even looking for a job, but a company hired me. They're another federal contractor, but they deal with the state. Um, so it's not really even federal contracting, it's a state contracting. But what we do is we uh, help out low-income families or people who are hard on their time, uh, get their houses repaired from hurricane and other sort of number of things that happen to a house, but stuff that FEMA couldn't handle or take care of or just didn't do. Um, the HUD, North Carolina State HUD, took over and uh, they contract out for us to go do the work and try to help these people who are living in squalor try to get them to be back up to be able to go live in a clean house and under a safe roof so that's me in a nutshell gotcha all right thanks for that man i appreciate that and i don't and I'm, I'm a florida resident so i know all about those hurricanes yes i do so here's my second question max what is what is the most important lesson you learned from serving in the marine corps most important or it's kind of a multiple lesson so you know yeah I would say it's hard it's hard to pinpoint one I mean there's definitely uh, if you hear pitter patters in the background I got five dogs so uh, uh, the uh, I mean there's a cliche of teamwork of of just unit cohesion and and really it was my first real job so I mean that was a that was an interesting first first job to have, yeah. Because I did sports, <laughs> it. I did sports all through high school and whatnot, and I was lucky enough that we were. I was not from a well-off family, but we were middle America, so I didn't necessarily have to work. Because my stepdad told me he's like, enjoy your freedom as it is now, because it'll be over by the time you turn 18. Which I thought he was joking, but we as we all know, adulthood is not fun. <laughs> so yep. Uh, so, I mean, really, I mean, it's it, 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 it's different for me because I come from a military family. Like I said, I'm an eighth generation Marine, so I mean, I knew I was going to be a Marine when I was seven years old. Uh, all my all my brothers, my stepbrothers, and served. Um, actually, me and my oldest brother were in Afghanistan at the same time on my four. Um, he was in different AO though. Um, so I, I, what stuck with me is kind of it's kind of the same thing that with the Marine Corps in general, and just, I, I just grew up in it, so it was a little different. I didn't really necessarily learn if the Marine Corps while in. I kind of did it as growing up, but just honor and integrity. If I had to have had to say anything, I mean that's that's really just about as much as you can ask from any simple man. 
be honest. Yeah, that, that's probably things. it because yeah, yeah, I grew up in a military family too. So when it was when I decided to join, I had already seen people wearing uniforms and you know a lot of patriotic stuff in the home. So I'm, I'm like you. So that's a, that's a great way to answer that question. So my third question, Max, is what are your platform items? So you can go into detail and talk about uh, what are Max Beckwith's platform items. So my platform items is is it's pretty pretty straightforward and cut and dry. I know there's not. As we all know, in the military, if you're a military person, common sense isn't all that common, and uh, especially when it comes to government. If, uh, the government has one easy way to do it or one hard way to do it. Which way are they going to do it? To the hard way. Um, so my platform, I'm obviously for term limits. I would actually like to see a amendment to the Constitution, which would turn Congress turn the uh, house into four-year terms instead of two-year terms because I don't know how anybody's able to do their job and then go campaign and essentially as soon as you get elected you're campaigning again and unless you take dirty money from big corporations lobbyists and everything else I mean you're kind of kind of continually campaigning year-round I think that if you push it to to the house being a four-year and then have half the house just like the Senate, they're a Senate six-year term or six, yeah, six-year term, but a third of the Senate is rotated every two years. Why not have half the House be in every two years instead of electing the entirety of the House every two years? So, um, I think that should be capped at two terms, so eight years in the House in total. If you decide you want to run for Senate, you win. I think Senate should be capped at two terms, like two six-year terms, and then once you, if you're able to win, do eight years in the House, do 12 years in the Senate, then you get 20 years in, then you can collect the federal uh, stipend, pension, whatever. As it sits right now, if you don't, let's say you do your eight years in the House, but you don't win your Senate seat, and you keep running and you don't win, then eventually you give up, well, you did eight years, guess what, you didn't meet your 20 year requirement unless you have prior federal service, like military, in which that time would always count. Um, then guess what? You don't get jack crap. You go back to being a normal person. Um, in the 90s, I'm not mistaken, Congress removed themselves. They removed a, a policy in Congress. I'm not mistaken, it was the Fair or Fair Trade Act of Congress. I could have that wrong. But essentially what it did is it essentially allowed for Congress to get away with insider trading and do these backroom deals and everything like that. I would like to see that reinstated. Um, mm-hmm. There's no reason why you go in as a congressman making $80,000 a year, you do 20 years in and you're a multi-millionaire. That makes no absolute sense to me whatsoever. Unless you're cheating. So, um, I have on my website, and this is where it kind of gets to the rub meets the grind is that I uh, I am a I am a, a Republican and that I am running a Republican primary but and I am a conservative but conservatism is a big bubble like your conservatism can be different mm-hmm. than somebody else's conservatism so I try to identify myself and some people think that well you're aren't you aren't you uh, hindering yourself and I don't see it that way because I see myself as listening if you 
I call myself a constitutional libertarian. Now, the reason I say that, because under that conservative umbrella, there is constitutionalists, there's libertarians under that conservative banner. I think I'm the first federal candidate that's kind of blending the two. And what constitutional libertarianism is to me is, first and foremost, for anybody who says anything, I am not a Johnson libertarian. He's a socialist libertarian, which I think is an oxymoron, the dumbest stance to have. Mm -hmm. So what I see is it is being libertarianism comes from Lockean theory, which was the premise this for Thomas Jefferson's Democratic Republican Party. What it is, it's the true interpretation of limited government, getting government out of your life putting the rights that are not ingrained and instilled to the government in the Constitution back to the states. So for a constitutional libertarian who is a conservative, this is how it goes. The bill comes up. Is it constitutional? Yes? Okay. Is it fall under the criteria for libertarianism? What I mean by that is just because something's constitutional doesn't mean it's good for the people. FISA court. I don't think they were good for Americans. Patriot Act. In the short term, yes, it was great. In the long term, it's not good for the people. We see the abuse of the FISA courts under uh, when they try to go after Trump. The the abuse of the NSA through the Patriot Act and collecting citizens' data. These are things that technically are constitutional, but I do not see that as government's responsibility. I see that as an overreach. Now, vice versa. Mm -hmm. So I would. So if the Patriot Act had came up and I was in office, I would have voted no. Because it's, yes, it's constitutional, but it's not, it's not limiting government, it's expanding government. It's not limiting personal freedoms, it's hindering personal freedoms. And that's literally, for lack of a better term, the scientific thought process of what I call a constitutional libertarian. If it's not constitutional, it stops there. If it's something that is not explicitly detailed in the Constitution, or it's something that cannot be that can be relevated to the Constitution via precedent in law, then it's a state's rights issue. It's a ninth and tenth amendment issue. It goes back to the states and goes to the courts as it should. Congress has expanded its overreach and over legislative bounds and creating policies that they have no business in creating. Um, so with that being said, that's why on my website, I specifically say I'm a constitutional libertarian running in the Republican Party because I did that intentionally because I'm not a Republican who is a constitutional libertarian. My ideologue puts me people over party. Just because... Gotcha, I understand I'm, that. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying the entire GOP is ingrained in the swamp, but a fair amount of it is. My, my incumbent that I'm running against in the primary... Representative David Rouser, I don't think he's a embedded grain corrupt swamp creature. I think he's a pretty upstanding guy. I think he's tired and came in with very good intentions, but he kind of got caught up into the get along to go along and just coasting. Um, now, in terms of any corruption or anything like that, I have no reason to believe that David Rouser is by any stretch of imagination. In fact, I think he's actually a pretty outstanding guy. So it's my challenge to him is because he's going on his fifth term, but he ran unopposed the last three terms. And I believe 
for a strong republic, every incumbent should have a primary challenger. Because if for no reason, it holds you true to what you're voted on, your voting record. It holds you true to your convictions. And if you do something that's not true to them, you're held accountable before it goes to a general election. It also helps the party remove these rhinos or fake conservatives or people who are just bored or old and able to find new blood that can actually fill that seat without running the risk of a general election lost to a Democrat. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. So that was my Here's reason my next for running. Question. Good? Yeah, so here, here's my next question, Max. Why do you think why do you think rhinos are popping up all over the place? So we've seen a a, a flurry of rhinos uh, pop up at, at, at least since Trump was elected, and then like a slower flow of rhinos, maybe ten ten years before that. So I personally, so the reason I'm kind of disenfranchised the GOP and why a lot of middle-of-the-road conservatives are not super enthralled with the entirety of the GOP. I mean, just look at Mitch McConnell, for instance. I mean, how, I mean, how many times does the guy have to go against conservative values for him to lose his seat or get primaried? Um, <laughs> the, I believe that this all stemmed from after Iran-Contra and into the, and into the late 80s, 90s, we saw a perpetuation of of cronyism, crony capitalism. What I mean by that is we see how even when, and Republicans are much better about this, and especially for like Trump's tax plan, I mean, that definitely benefited the majority of the middle class more than it helped the top 1%. Like it's, it's, it definitely helped. But during this COVID season, you see mom and pop shops shut down, but you see Walmart, Lowe's, and Home Depot open for business. And it's not necessarily a federal issue at that point. It also it, it also pertains down even to the state and local because they're enforcing mandates on small businesses that don't have the financial backing to hire a team of lawyers to fight it. Um, so this is this is where I see the GOP has faltered because if you want to be honest about it, the GOP and in a big part during the Afghan war or the war on terror, that GOP is not the same GOP of Eisenhower, not the same GOP that that voted for the Civil Rights Act, that voted for the women's suffrage movement. Like these are like idealistically they say they are, but when you look at who's backing them, where the money's coming from and how they're voting, they're not staying true to what, what is the conservative value of limiting government, protecting personal individual freedoms, and just staying true to the Constitution while at the same time stopping Democrats and progressives from ramrodding through policy. And that's one thing that Democrats do a lot better than the current Republicans. Democrats think the long game. You can go all the way down to FDR and the IRS, LBJ and the Great Society. Uh, I mean, it, they play the long game. They always have. The, I mean, you can go all the way back. The Democrats come from the Federalists. If you, if you go 
political ideologically, the Hobbesian mindset theory. I mean, even the Federalists with Mayberry Bree Madison. I mean, you can it, they follow that trend all the way back. So, if the thing is, the Republican will vote on a bill, ten things are good for his state or constituent and good for the country, but there's two to five that are socialist policies that were put in by the Democrats, and they consider that a win. No, any socialist policy should be stripped, and I'm also a firm believer in standalone bills. If you mm-hmm. cannot put a bill up and it can stand on the merit of its own two legs, it shouldn't be voted on. Now, if you put it up and you have so-called conservatives voting down your bill policy like term limits, I think term limits should be a standalone bill, and you have Republicans turning it down, guess what? Those aren't conservatives. Those people need to get primaried. And people always say, well, mm-hmm. when you put all these policies up, they're not going to go anywhere. They'll get stopped in the House before they even get out of commission or get, get out of committee. Yeah, that's the point. The point is not necessarily to make sure every single bill goes through. The point is to throw up so many freaking bills and have every single person who is not a true conservative vote it down. And then you can go to them on a primary. Listen, this is a standalone bill. There's 10 items that are standalone bills. There's no riders, no kickbacks, no nothing. And this state conservative voted against them. Mm-hmm. So, right. That's right. So, and, and that's, that's the thing that we don't do is the Republican Party. The Republican Party is a giant punching bag. Without, and what I mean by that is <laughs> outside of people like Ted Cruz, Jim Jordan, Rand Paul, uh, people who adamantly and always stand up and are willing to take the fight for Democrats, you got 10 Republicans in the Senate that just laid over and just let the infrastructure uh, or the debt ceiling limit uh, continue. They raised the debt ceiling limit mm-hmm. for the next 30 days. Like, why, why is it so important to fund the government? And, and, and here's, here's what I mean by that. Everyone says, oh, we need to raise the debt ceiling because we need to be funded. Guess what? When the government shuts down, it doesn't shut down. People still work. What happens is the non-essential personnel, the people who are really just sitting by and collecting a paycheck, like if they're not essential, why do they have jobs in the first place? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good question I want to know. Right. And then Biden saying, it's built that better and everything, like, oh, it's all paid for. It's like, nothing's paid for when you're $30 trillion in debt. That's like me as a small business owner having $5 million in debt. You know what? I'm not going to pay that. The IRS is going to come after me. I'm going to go get another $500 million and just spend it however the hell I want. Because there's no consequences. Mm-hmm. As essentially, if Congress was ran like a business and held accountable like a business, the vast majority of them, specifically on the, on the left, would be in jail, brought up on fraud, or owing money to the federal government and having forfeiture uh, 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 forfeiture of funds and, and, and whatever and liens on their property. So, Mm-mm. that's right. That's right. Hey, I got two more questions for you. Okay. What actions? Because you know, the lot of in this, this twenty twenty election, there was a lot of accusations about fraud and election integrity. What actions are you taking to minimize or eliminate voter fraud? during your primary and general elections. See, I'm going to assume you're going to win the, the primary because I like what you're saying. So I'm assuming you're going to win <laughs> and move on to the general. 
in which you will face uh, some Democrats. So do uh, you have any plans uh, for how you're going to you know, fight to make sure that your voters' votes count? As far as if I were to win the primary, I mean, it's still a long shot. I mean, Rouse has got a pretty big war chest, and and I'm I'm a little blue-collar guy who is bootstrapped in this grassroots, and and I don't have a $500,000 trust fund to fall upon. So it's, it's a little difficult, especially considering even though I'm filed with the SEC and even though I'm filed with the House Ethics, um, no media outlet will touch me until after I'm on the primary ballot. Um, but the problem is I can't get on the primary ballot right now because North Carolina Supreme Court just put a halt on candidate filings until they decide whether or not to move forward with the redistricting. So it's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's hard to get the message out. And I try to do as much as I can with social media going out and trying to go into meetings and everything like that. And every single GOP meeting I've gone to, when I say I'm running a browser, almost cause blocks every single one. I was like, really? About time. But no one knows. Hmm. No one, no, no one's hearing anything from me. Um, and also it's hard to get donations in when you're not on the ballot because people don't want to throw money at a campaign that they don't know if it's going to be wasted money or if they're going to actually be on the ballot. So it's a it's kind of a catch 22. Now, if I were to win the primary, um, which would be a pretty large upset because I'd eventually win with about $20,000 versus $1.6 million, which would be a pretty pretty big upset. Uh, I don't take donor, I don't take lobbyist money, I don't take corporation money, I don't take any, I don't have any super PACs, I don't do any of that crap. Because um, I'm the only person I should be beholden to is the constituent. So, exactly. Um, for as far as voter integrity, I mean, I would. I mean, obviously, if you vote, you should have an ID. That's just the, the, the argument that voter ID is racist. The here's my counter argument. You're saying that it's racist because minorities, specifically Latinos and African Americans, aren't smart enough to know how to go get a state ID or a driver's license. That's racist to me. As a black yeah. male. I've had a license since I was 14 or 15 years old. Yeah, but the problem is you're... And I'm 60 now. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, all my cousins who are Democrats, Mac, they, they've had... So, you, so you're right. That, that whole thing, is a, it's a racist... It's racist uh, you know, coming from the people who are calling somebody else racist. And here's the thing is that Democrats are also really good at... They're really good at driving and, and unifying behind a narrative. The... And... And... and, and this is what I have issue with, specifically with our education system, is that we don't we don't teach the things that people should actually know. Like the whole ideologue of oh, the Republicans and Democratic Party switched after the Civil War. That's bullshit. Part of my language, because uh, mm-hmm. the <laughs> like it was the Republicans that voted for the women's suffrage movement. It was the Republicans that voted for all the Civil Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act of of uh, what was it 1969. Mm-hmm. One Democrat voted yeah, for that one, and then he yeah. like. So you're telling me that 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 in 2016 when Hillary Clinton was running, she was more pro the people and the blue collar worker 
in the black community and minority community, even though her, as she said, I think she said that uh, one of her mentors was Richard Burr, a known Grand Wizard of the KKK, and was an active senator mm-hmm. for, till what, the 90s? Yep. So, it's, 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 it's like the Republican Party is the party of abolitionists. Like, like we're, we're, we're the party that, yep. that, that and, and that's what I'm saying, like, I, I love the Republican Party and ideals that it stands for. It's just the cronyism that has infested D.C., both in the left and right. I'm critical of the left just as much as I am of the right in terms of their mm-hmm. voting policy, in terms of where their money's coming from, in terms of just the, the crappy laws they try to get passed. And it's, it, it, if we can take the, the, the corrupt money out of it and move t- more toward a constitutional libertarian approach in the GOP, and that's why I bring it that way, is I'm a constitutional libertarian. That puts me in the more of a four-step right of center. I'm not a far-rider. I'm not a, a socialist commie lefty. I mean, I'm, but I am a, I, I'm, right of, I'm, I'm right of center. But the thing is, is that my stance is actually more traditionally conservative than even the Reagan era Republicans because my values and what I deem important as a constitutional libertarian where I line up philosophically is more closely in line to Thomas Jefferson's Democratic Republican Party than the current GOP mm-hmm. party. Mm-hmm. And that's where I like to see that shit. You understand? I mean, you break, you're breaking it down, Max. You're breaking the history down because you like history. I, I, I totally get it. And that's just something that we don't teach. We don't teach the founding philosophies of the founding fathers that, that, that the Federal, Alexander Hamilton's Federalist Party were Hobbesian theorists. You can go read his book, Leviathan, if you haven't. He was a Kingsman in their big government. He had Thomas Jefferson's Lockean theorist for the Democratic Republican Party, John Locke, the arguably the father of classical liberalism slash libertarianism and that's another thing we need to stop calling these democrats liberals do you know where liberalism came from in america why Tell democrats us, started become called liberal it became that way it became that way after world war ii because fdr's democratic party was known as progressive but the progressive ideology was too closely aligned to the former Nazi totalitarian fascism. So they rebranded themselves mm-hmm. as a softer, nicer liberal. They stole and corrupted the classical liberalism, which means freedom. It means my personal choice and accountability. It's not big brother taking care of me. That's not true liberalism. So when you hear a progressive say, call themselves liberals, like, no, you're you're an undercover commie, but you're not. You can't be a commie because of 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 of, of policy in the 1940s, in the 1930s. That or, uh, yeah, 1930s. That it's a uh, Harley and Dutton. I can't remember the actual act. I'll have to look that up. But it essentially made it to where if you're an open card carrying member of, of the Communist Party, you can't run for office. That's why Bernie Sanders never came out as a yep. communist. He was a socialist, because he legally, if he did, he couldn't run. Mm-hmm. That's what these progressives are, and now they're not even hiding it. Now they're straight up saying they're Marxists, they're they're progressives, they're they're wanting all this, this, and that. And it's like, it's. I think America is opening up their eyes, especially considering the whole Biden fiasco and people having <laughs> buyer's remorse. 
Um, but still, it, 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 it all comes down to education. And that's another big thing is I'm a big, staunch believer in if I had it my way, I'd abolish the Department of Education tomorrow. Put it back to the state. Mm-hmm. The states know what's good for their people. The parents know what's good. Put the get the PTAs back in charge of the board of election of, of the board of, uh, of schools, school boards. So you can put the power back into the parents to know what's doing with the curriculum. Let them approve it. And I am actually I call public schools government drone making machines. I would like to see more <laughs> more smaller instead of having one big public school that houses. 5,000 students, why not have 10 smaller public charter schools or private schools in the area with lottery systems and, and everything like that in place to help people and to get into these schools and much smaller classes and I don't know, if you decide to homeschool your kid, why are you paying taxes to the school system for your school system, school your kid doesn't go to? Yep, yep, yep. Hey Max, I'm going to tell you something. Man, I'm going to send you this link when we're done, and you need to listen to it. And I know you will over and over again, man, because you, you, brought, you brought some heat. Uh, I would say 75 80% of this podcast interview, interview, you brought some heat and with some information that people need to hear. So as we close, how can people who believe in Max Beckwith's campaign support you? Uh, you can go max4congress.net. Max number four, congress.net. Um, that's my website. It's got all my policies and everything on there. And the one thing that also that I don't see from any other candidate, Democrat or Republican, is there's always, they always say we need to do this. We need to take back the House. We need to do this. But they don't give you any meat and potatoes on key issues that you can be like, all right, well, yeah, you say this, but what are you mm-hmm. going to do? Well, we're, we're going to do every policy I have on my website. I give you a solution. Whether it's the right one or not, whether it's something like we can talk about and work and negotiate across the aisle, that's fine. But I at least give you some meat and potatoes to chew on. So, um, yeah, my, all my social media is through there. Yeah, you can Twitter, Max, uh, for Congress, one. Uh, it's, if you can go to my website, you can donate directly from my website. Um, like I said, I'm a grassroots guy, so any anything helps. Um, but... The big thing is, is I just need to get the message out there so that people know that there is a alternative to a tired Republican. Um, and that's, that's really the big thing is just getting the message out there and getting people to the vote. And I'd like to think that my... And I'd like to say... Uh, go ahead. I'd like to think that my message, I mean, I mean, it's, I would like to think that classical JFK Democrats who are like able to be reasoned with they're not far progressives they hate the progressives they see me and they're like oh someone who's not an extreme far right radical okay cool I can get under him and cross over or the independent body which is there's more independent independence than either party and they see someone who's not a far right guy but definitely not on the left and they're like oh he seems like some common sense breaking down Barney style logic so that I'm hoping that I can bring a, a larger base under that Republican fold by doing this. Well, I tell you what, Max, uh, I, I believe like you, I believe 
that this next election will be the year of the common man and common woman because uh, voters, both on the right and the left, and, I, and I'm as a Californian, I'm out in California. I can tell you right now, California is not a blue state. I hope everyone heard me. We are not a blue state. They've been cheating for so many years that they have mesmerized people into believing that California is a blue state. Um, we're not. We're a red state. Uh, they, they've just been cheating for so many years. But, Max, I want to thank you for your time this afternoon. Uh, please come back and, and share more information. Uh, you, you brought some great information for people to definitely think about and actually you know, move forward with. So I don't think you need to wait until the primary uh, to start uh, letting people know about yourself and, and what you do and, and raising money. I believe you have exactly what it takes right now. So thanks for being a guest on the Real People USA podcast and make it a great day. Thank you too, Rick.